we can see you, and welcome to the Edge broadcast. Alrighty. Hey, we're going to talk about Alien in the Mirror, and uh, last time I looked in the mirror, I didn't see one, but I have been considered an alien in some of my thoughts and opinions. Uh, Randall, but before we get going, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, certainly. Uh, my name is Randall Fitzgerald. I write books for a living, but I started out as a newspaper reporter and then as a magazine editor and had my first book published in 1979, and it was titled The Complete Book of Extraterrestrial Encounters. Wow. So I, I've been involved in this subject, uh, as you can tell, for quite a number of years. So I keep doing deeper and deeper dives into the subject matter. Wow. Well, we've had a number of uh, alien guests or guests have talked about the alien question before. And now, <clears throat> Alien in the Mirror, is, is is that where you, are you suggesting there has been some um, messing around with human DNA? Actually, there are multiple meanings for the title. One meaning is that if we hold the mirror of human evolution up uh, to this phenomenon, whatever it is, uh, that we see reflected back a, a lot of the mysteries of our own existence. The UFO phenomenon is full of mystery, and alien visitation as a subject uh, is mm -hmm. rather mysterious, uh, as evidenced by the popularity of the ancient uh, astronaut uh, subject matter on television. So we hold the mirror of evolution up and, and we see reflected back many of the mysteries of our own origins. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there is the theory that humans were seated on this planet. Mm -hmm. And as a species, we evolved here and our origins are elsewhere. So that's also an alien aspect of this. Mm -hmm. um, for, that, for that to have occurred... Uh, would, would it be that it's more likely they came here and adjusted the DNA or they put us here to begin with? I can only speculate, of course, because I'm a journalist and basically what I do is I don't have a strong point of view one way or the other. Uh, I just try to follow the evidence as I find it, uh, where it goes, I try to apply critical thinking. So when you give me options like that as to uh, what uh, may have transpired in uh, prehistory, uh, I, mm -hmm. like you or anyone else, can only um, speculate. At, but I don't have an opinion or a strong opinion about mm -hmm. much of so, anything so, in this. So, so obviously, okay, so I understand it. So you're, you're, you're open to, to different ideas on the matter. Uh, what's your, uh, uh, or, or have you considered uh, intelligent design, say, from a creator standpoint? Uh, not in this book, no. Mm -hmm. But really but wouldn't that. wouldn't that be almost like an elephant in the room type of thing? Wouldn't that uh, sh should be considered when one asks the question whether or not or how humans got here? Uh, certainly, uh, and, and it probably should be. Uh, let me point, because my book, covers a lot of territory mm -hmm. from 1919 on in terms of the, the literature and the subject matter. 1975 was a big year for books to be published in this realm. And there are two in particular in connection with your question that I, I would point you to. Uh, mm -hmm. The Reverend Billy Graham, uh, 
I had a book that came out uh, in which he uh, considered UFOs as perhaps being piloted by angels and that they were here to help humankind battle satanic forces. Uh, and then uh, the same year, 1975, uh, two evangelical Christians came out with another book. Let me make certain I have this title um, correct. Yes, What on Earth is Happening? in which they argued that UFO occupants are demons. Mm -hmm. So you had two contradictory points of view about the nature and the origin of this particular phenomenon. And when we think in terms of intelligent design, if we put a religious spin on it, we can come up with a number of different possibilities of how to interpret the true nature of such intelligent design. Mm -hmm. um, there are in ancient uh, hieroglyphics, ancient paintings, uh, all, all of them seem to have UFOs in them or UFO type illustrations in them. And it goes back as the ancient cave drawings. Um, it, do you think, there's those are credible or did they or is it just artistic license that the the creators of those drawings and hieroglyphs and various things and paintings are just taking or did they see something well again i try to weigh the evidence for instance uh, if we go back five or six thousand years uh, how would we living in that time interpret uh, a comet for instance uh, in the sky uh, and, and the tale of a fiery uh, object uh, coming across uh, the night sky and how would we illustrate it uh, whether it was you know, something that uh, we put in uh, sand or on a cave wall uh, so those sorts of questions of interpretation uh, can cut a lot of different uh, ways and while I think it's certainly interesting and I must say right up front that intuitively I have always felt like a visitation occurred in ancient times mm -hmm. but when mm -hmm. I apply critical thinking and just simply analyze the evidence and try to weigh it uh, I don't come to any firm conclusions but again as you point out uh, there is a, a history of interpretation of what we see as a species in the sky uh, that certainly lends some credence to the idea that what was seen uh, was what even today we would consider to be otherworldly. Mm -hmm. um, there are 95% uh, of the population believes in a, a divine being of some sort. And I would think most of them then, most of the civilizations have a his, history that, that they record as some sort of divine um, um, manufacturing of the planet and putting the people here and the plants and, and animals uh, that kind of goes against sort of scientific thought which suggests that the big bang theory and everything came from that and there was a primordial soup and then from that somehow lightning struck it and then i guess all the fruits and vegetables came out of there animals come out of there everything came out of there then there's the kind of the third whole topic area where there's you know, external beings of some sort, not necessarily a deity. Um, so there's sort of like three competing ones there. But um, even if there was, say, an alien type of interference 
whether seeding or whether altering, um, it always comes to the, 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 the question, well, who created them? Right. Have, have you ever pondered that? Oh, yes. Uh, I have uh, from childhood on, not reaching any firm conclusions, but, but like pondering the nature of infinity. What does infinite really mean? And when we gaze up at the night sky, at the stars, and we sense that there is an endless, boundless uh, expanse there. And then what we read based on uh, the science literature tells us uh, that, in fact, uh, infinity is uh, something that could involve multiple universes, mm -hmm. uh, could involve uh, interdimensional sort of travel. You know, that's all still theoretical, but it's reached the level now where even in science uh, terminology, uh, they are exploring those options in speculative ways, which a few decades ago uh, would have been considered off limits. Mm -hmm. A uh, question came in from uh, our live chat watching the show. Here's says, uh, do you believe in God? I believe in a divine creator, however uh, one wants to define that. Uh, I don't have a definition for myself mm -hmm. uh, other than uh, there seems to be a, a prevailing, pervading energy uh, in the cosmos, uh, which uh, certainly seems to have human beings as a byproduct. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the, uh, the the abduction phenomena going on, Randall, I'm sure you're aware of that. And uh, there's claims of, uh, of uh, baby harvesting, impregnation, various things. And so it seems as if they're describing that there's, there's, there's uh, an investigation, scientific investigations going on. Uh, but it doesn't really seem that plausible because if it, it would seem that if aliens could come from light years away, it seems like they would already have the technology they're looking for, would it? Wouldn't it? If we apply the nuts and bolts idea of faster than light travel and involving physical manifestations, uh, yes, you know, certainly there are a lot of flaws in, in the books that I've read uh, that tend to accept the alien abduction phenomenon as being uh, real and here and now. But again, if we just by way of speculation apply interdimensional travel mm -hmm. then we're not talking about traveling light years we're not talking about uh, coming um, from some place mm -hmm. in, in another mm -hmm. universe uh, well there, there you go uh, yeah i mean you're talking about you, you may be talking about technology to fold space certainly that technology they would have the technology to grow uh some sort of organic meat suits that they could use seem like they're they're you know coming here and they can't seem to can't seem to answer that by the way we have a, a poll question on our website it says do you believe in ancient astronauts uh their uh their uh choices are petroglyphs show off world beings no the drawings are exaggerations Giorgio Tatulio's hair says so uh, not only ancient but present and the other one about ancient astronauts, it says waiting for proof. So here's the results. So 60% say not only ancient aliens, but present aliens. And then 20% uh, says petroglyphs show off-world beings as well. 
couple votes on George Tatulio's hair. But, you know, I, I got to respect whatever he says because he's got the pen. Okay, he's got the little UFO pen. Anybody got that pen? It's like it's like a UFO medal. You got to believe whatever they say. So, mm-hmm. so it looks like sixty percent are saying that they're they, they, they believe that the aliens at, at least are out there. And with uh, revelations, say like the Tic Tac videos and other things, and and now committees are being established. It seems like they're slow walking um, disclosure right now. That that's an interesting topic. I ask a lot about that, whether or not disclosure is something that is slowly leaking out uh, as opposed to some revelation in the future that's going to be earth-shattering. I wonder, um, because I've never felt like within the halls of government and the various institutions of the military and the intelligence agencies that they really know what's going on. I've known a lot of people from that world, and they've always expressed a lot of confusion about uh, this realm of uh, UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomenon, as it's now called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've never had faith that there was anyone within the halls of government who knew enough to disclose mm-hmm. enough for us, uh, for our own collective. Have you... Um... Have you, in your research in your book, Alien in America, have you, did you discover some very shocking truth that you you had no idea existed out there in, in the process of writing your book? I personally investigated a number of different cases. Uh, there was a case uh, that goes back to the 1950s that involved a woman in southern Maine who, who was a, a channeler and was allegedly channeling an extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, And I went, as I do in the book, in great depth and detail about this case. I also investigated the 1997 Phoenix or Arizona Lights uh, Mm -hmm. case, March 13th, 97. Mm -hmm. Spend a lot of pages of the book uh, talking about that particular case. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there are individual cases, Daniel, that when I sort of stack them up uh, and outline them on a sheet of paper that collectively together have sort of a a synergy to them in terms of commonalities and the patterns of the nature of the mystery. And so I I don't point to any one particular case. Uh, I I tend to point to uh, a multiple number of cases Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had Dr. Lynn Katai on the show. She was, I think she she was pretty well involved with those Phoenix lights back in the day there. And it wasn't too much longer after that, uh, Randall, that there was uh, something called the, the Stevensville UFO craft. Were you aware of that one? Yes. Didn't that involve um, the former president Bush? Uh, well, it, it was in te- his ranch. Well, it was certainly in Texas. And I think it was awful close to there. I mean, this thing, what I remember was that they said it was about a mile wide and they know that because it blocked out the, the sky, of course, there's a lot of hoaxing from the government on that. First, they said that nothing happened. Then they said people were seeing reflections of an reflections of another jet. Then they said they had no uh, National Guard craft flying around. Then they said, oh yeah, by the way, we just remembered we did, and that's what you saw. You know, I mean, it was just on and on. And then, uh, so you know, if, if it's just better if the if the government would just say we don't know 
rather than try to gaslight us. I mean, people are too smart for that these days. There's too there's too many eyewitnesses, too many cell phones taking pictures, and the gaslighting just doesn't work. At least, in, it, it works in some other topics, but not particularly in that one. Yes, and Daniel, the old reasons for gaslighting no longer work anymore either. Uh, back in the 1950s, 60s, uh, right into the 80s, um, the reasons given, as we learned in 1997, when a classified CIA report was released about psychological warfare, that during that period of time, the CIA wanted to confuse the Soviets about what the U.S. government did or did not know about the UFO phenomenon. So as a result, uh, as was admitted in this 1997 uh, Studies in Intelligence, an internal document of the CIA, when it was released, the confession was made that starting in the 1950s, CIA officers uh, dressed up in Air Force uniforms and went and interviewed witnesses to UFO sightings, especially military pilots and civilian pilots, and tried to convince them that what they had seen was a natural phenomenon. Well, at the time, uh, the rationale being used by the CIA uh, in masquerading as Air Force officers was that they wanted to protect uh, secret spycraft like the U-2 and flights from what we now know was Area 51. And at the same time, uh, they wanted, to, in publicity being given, uh, they wanted to confuse uh, the Russians. And uh, the Soviets were doing the same thing. The Chinese were doing the same thing. Um, it was all a big uh, masquerade in a certain sense. For decades for us to understand the truth uh, based on this 1997 release of the CIA report. And... What we now know is that a lot of credible witnesses from the 50s on had their reputations uh, ruined uh, and they were publicly ridiculed. And that was, we now know, shameful, even when it was done in the name of national security. Did you do any investigation in uh, Project Blue Book? Yes, uh, I did. Uh, I interviewed a number of former Project Blue Book uh, directors as well as scientific advisors like J. Allen Hynek, uh, Colonel Robert Friend, who was one of the Project Blue Book uh, directors for a period of years. Uh, someone I interviewed uh, in this case I mentioned earlier about the, the woman in uh, the 1950s in southern Maine mm -hmm. who, who had gotten naval intelligence interested in her case and a series of naval intelligence officers, as I recount in my book, went and visited her and had sessions with her. Uh, and in fact, uh, eventually her, she became um, someone who was brought to the attention of the CIA. Mm -hmm. uh, and depending on how much detail you want to go into uh, in this case, uh, it did involve Project the Book. Uh, as well as these other agencies, Naval Intelligence and the CIA. And it's a mystery to this day as to what happened and the extent to which this woman, who was just an ordinary housewife in Southern Maine, the extent to which she really was uh, in touch with what could have been described as an alien intelligence. Hmm. Um, what do you think about the Betty and Barney Hill story? Is that legit? 
I certainly think they're sincere. Uh, I, I think they were ridiculed by debunkers uh, in such a way that uh, it brought, I think, a lot of shame onto the the shoulders of debunkers. I, I knew some of the debunkers that were involved, like Philip Class and James Oberg and Robert Schaefer and, and a few of the others. Uh, I had a magazine in the late 70s called Second Look in which we uh, had debunkers as well as believers debating on the pages of the magazine about specific sightings. In fact, the, the Hill case was one that uh, came up. Mm -hmm. And as you well know, it, it was a pioneering case because it was the first time that uh, psychiatrists were brought in and there was hypnotic regression. And uh, it, it really opened the door for public discussion for really the first time uh, in a meaningful way uh, about this whole subject of alien abduction. Mm -hmm. Well, let me let me uh, let me uh, mix up the waters here a little bit with a conspiracy theory that is um, in a class of its own, uh, and this is going to go right to climate change. There have been suggestions that they they or them uh, are are wanting to come here to this planet and coexist or take over either one but they're used to colder temperatures and they are in league with government officials worldwide and have suggested to them if they lower the if they can lower the earth's temperature that would make it more comfortable for them they'll trade technology for us hence the the worldwide mad rush to try to uh cool the planet off what do you think about that it's fun to speculate. I have no idea if there's any evidence uh, to support that. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to see the evidence. I'd like to apply critical thinking uh, to evaluate what, what that evidence might be and the impact of it. Uh, again, as you well know, there are a multiplicity of theories and ideas out there. And that's what I tried to do in this book is to collect them all in one place mm -hmm. where the ordinary reader can make some assessments mm -hmm. of what feels. Well, I, I, bet, I, bet, I bet that one is not in your book because it's, it's so far out there. But here's the, here's the thing. Um, if you look at the, the current con condition of the world, how things are going in different countries and various things going on, uh, 20 years ago, you would say that's outrageous to suggest the way we live today and what's going on would never happen. Like, Russia invading Ukraine and I mean all the political stuff and, and all this kind of thing we would never say that that's our country would never go that but so we have to we have to really think of the most bizarre situation out there and think well it's just got as much credibility as anything that we would just sort of a normal progression of thought because in 20 years, the unthinkable, unimaginable happens. And so it, it seems unthinkable and unimaginable that there are aliens that are involved with our governments. And and it is interesting that the, the governments around the world seem to be making the same decisions at the same time, which affects everybody for the same reason. Um, and then there are, there are those who are kind of cheating at that game too, trying to game the system a little bit in their favor. So I'm just suggesting that that's just as plausible as any other theory out there. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you bring that up because uh, just a few hours ago before our interaction uh, today, I was watching 
a video from 1964, uh, an interview with Arthur C. Clarke, uh, who wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm -hmm. uh, which really was the movie that set in motion the ancient astronaut theory in, in many different ways. And Arthur C. Clarke was asked this question about what in his lifetime could he anticipate happening. And he made some comments along the lines of whatever he predicted or whatever we predict at any one time uh, in 10 years would either be found to be uh, too conservative that we could have gone much further in our prediction about the nature of technology and how it evolves. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that time, Arthur C. Clarke uh, was talking about how at some point within his lifetime, we would have devices like Dick Tracy on our wrists uh, where we could access most of the world's information, mm -hmm. that we could uh, access each other wherever we were on the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, and at, in 1964, that seemed far-fetched, but obviously before Arthur C. Clarke died in 2007, all of that came to pass. So whatever we can predict now via climate change and the forces involved in either accelerating it or in some way attempting to mitigate it, probably would be conservative, as we will discover in the next two decades. Mm -hmm. um, do you believe that they, are, uh, they have retrofitted aircraft to lay down chemical trails to block the sunlight? I know people, I have friends who actually believe that. Uh, I haven't come to any conclusions about mm -hmm. that, Daniel. Mm -hmm. I, again, as a journalist, uh, I like to see what the evidence is and, and weigh it. I, I haven't seen evidence that convinces me, but I'm not saying that it's impossible. Seems like I've seen some revelations here recently where they're actually just admitting that they're, they've been doing that. Um, I, I, um, I mean, as far as evidence goes, I'm not an expert in the field, but I can tell you many times I've, because I keep an eye on the skies for various reasons, uh, but I'll see a plane at a certain altitude just going along and all of a sudden the, uh, now some people say it's a contrail versus a chemtrail. Contrail is described as the normal emissions of a jet aircraft, hot engine hitting cold air, but it seems that it turns on and it, it shouldn't turn on. It should either be there or not. Now, maybe they could hit a cold spot. I don't, I don't know, but I'm always kind of keeping an eye on that. And I notice how that sometimes there are so many lines in the skies and as they dissipate, it literally creates a, a haze in the sky, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I don't, but, but myself, I don't, I don't want to make this planet habitable for them. Okay. We were here first, or at least we got it. We got it, okay? And, I, I, and I'm not giving it up. How about you, Randall? I don't know if we were here first uh, or not. I, I don't have a, a sense about that. I, I'd like to think that, you know, I'm a believer in private property rights. So collectively, <laughs> the human species uh, should have. Well, there you go. In principle, uh, some yeah. private property rights uh, concerning this planet. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. All right, tell us some more about your book. What, what else you got in there? Well, if you think of the five areas 
the book is divided into five parts, uh, and the five areas are, first of all, the ancient astronaut uh, theories, mm -hmm. uh, second, uh, UFOs and UFO occupants, uh, the third is uh, contactees and abductees, uh, the fourth area I cover uh, is uh, believers and skeptics and, and their points of view. Mm -hmm. And the fifth and final area I cover in the book uh, is the, the SETI program, the, the mm -hmm. science search for extraterrestrial life using yep. radio signals and mm -hmm. the pros and cons in connection with that, since there are certainly some cons uh, from the standpoint of claims that it's a waste of money. So I, I tried to, in those five areas, uh, examine the evolution of all of the ideas and supporting evidence uh, in those areas, dating all the way back to Charles Fort, uh, who in uh, 1919 wrote the first book that really set in motion not only the ancient astronaut uh, theories that von Daniken in particular popularized mm -hmm. uh, decades later, but Charles Fort, uh, where we got the term Fortean phenomenon that's used today, uh, examined uh, everything that was odd, the oddities that science sort of chucked aside, uh, thinking that it, it was too strange to really investigate. Mm -hmm. You know, things like uh, fish falling from uh, the sky on cloudless days or uh, red rain and he just collected all of these oddities. Uh, and so from 1919 on, uh, all of the other authors uh, pretty much uh, stood in his shadow and walked in his footsteps, uh, especially um, starting in the 1940s when the uh, 1947 in particular, when the UFO phenomenon with Roswell and mm -hmm. Kenneth Arnold mm -hmm. and the sightings of uh, the nine, what he called flying saucers uh, near Mount Rainier in Washington, uh, when all of that hit uh, the airwaves and became newspaper headlines, then the cultural phenomenon truly began. But there were inklings of it decades before with people like Charles Fort, uh, who spent most of his time in uh, the New York Public Library, uh, going through newspapers clippings, looking for uh, oddities. Uh, and, and that's, I think, how true science uh, uh, comes about and true discoveries are made. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't have uh, uh, an alien in the mirror, but a lot of times I have. I, I feel like I feel like aliens are watching me. It might be a mirror of their eyeball, man, because uh, I, I feel like I'm exposing their dark and and dirty uh, efforts to to take over this planet. But by the way, you, you've seen this video here, or the, the, at least this picture here uh, of the Tic Tac video. Uh, but what you may not know is uh, I've actually got software. I was able to zoom in on this and take a look at this craft. Let me go ahead and show it to you now. What that craft really is, it appear on the right. So there, there's, what I've, there's what I found, uh, zooming in. Uh, can you see that? Yes, I can. Does that look familiar? Well, it looks like it's out of Star Trek. <laughs> well, it could be, man. I mean, I'm thinking it's the USS Enterprise and the the movie from Gene Roddenberry. I mean, that they just actually uh, have uh, came back from time and they made the movie back in the '60s to tell us that they were coming. And this is their craft. You can see it plainly the same angle is clearly the same craft. But we we really have to kind of check our sources a lot of times, make sure that. Uh, 
you know they are they are correct if there was con if there was contact is the United States automatically the people the government the country that they would like to present themselves to or is, do you think there's a better candidate country for that mm. I've never been an adherent to the take me to your leader perspective in connection with how contact would evolve. Uh, my feeling is, and this is intuitive, is that the first contact would be with whales and dolphins or, or maybe the uh, the octopus uh, mm. species, uh, some other species on the planet that has some level of intelligence uh, that might well be more resonant uh, with the visitors and, and with what they would want uh, to see Earth represented by. Hmm. It's interesting. It seems like I saw a movie one time where um, they uh, were on a ship and they were saying that the, the whales were telling them the, the, the aliens were there or something. I can't remember what the name of that movie was, but it, it seems like it's incorporated in there. But let me ask you, there's another thing. Of course, there, there's, there's a lot of movies out there. One of them that comes to mind is Prometheus. But th there's several movies like that that have some sort of octopus connection to it. Another one, I think, I don't know what it was called, The Interpreter or something. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, it was the, these aliens were behind this big glass, and they brought this interpreter to try to interpret what they said. They look like octopuses. And I'm just wondering, have you seen any connection and or why an octopus is used in a science fiction movie to depict alien contact? Well, I do know, based on my reading, a lot of oceanographers and a lot of biologists have long been fascinated with the octopus species, not only because each of its arms has a mini brain, uh, it's a combination of brains that collectively create a consciousness, but because the octopus species seems oh, so out of place in the ocean and on this planet, and there, there's uh, innumerable reasons why that they give. And so I've seen the speculation in the scientific literature that if there is a candidate species in the animal kingdom for an alien visitor or an alien implant here uh, as, as a species on the planet, it, it would be the octopus. Wow. And so uh, it doesn't surprise me that it would appear in so much of science fiction. Hmm. Um, so how do you how do you consider the the octopus an, an out of place species? Well, I don't. I'm just saying, based on what I've read, of um, scientists uh, in their speculations, uh, they just find uh, that there's so much about it. Uh, again, starting with each arm having its own mini brain, uh, and how how those brains together. Uh, interact uh, in a sort of collective consciousness uh, way. Uh, that was the first point of fascination mm -hmm. for many scientists. Mm -hmm. uh, and then beyond that, it, it's their eyes. Uh, it, it's how they seem to be so uh, adaptable mm -hmm. uh, and so aware. Mm -hmm. And they give every evidence uh, of being uh, right up there with whales and dolphins in yeah. terms of intelligence. Well, if they, uh, if, if they had to steer a ship, they'd have a lot of arms to grab a hold of the steering wheel. Hey, uh, in your, in your book, 
uh, in, in section three, it says, what are they trying to tell us? Uh, Randall, what are they trying to tell us? Lots of points of view on that one, as you know, Daniel. Um, the phenomenon itself tells us a lot about us and who we are and who we are evolving into uh, as a species. Uh, as I pointed out earlier in terms of the connection of the title of the book, Alien in the Mirror, and what does that mean? You know, Jacques Vallée looked in his book, Passport to Magnolia, at the effect this phenomenon has had uh, on uh, cultures and in the mythologies of cultures. Uh, and I suspect, uh, based on my intuitive feeling about uh, this whole subject, uh, is that it works both ways, that the phenomenon itself, whatever we're seeing mysterious in the sky, is reacting to us as much as we are reacting to it. It's as if there is um, an interactive consciousness exchange going on between us and it. And I say it because mm -hmm. lack of a better term as to what it might truly be. But the point being, I, I think part of our evolutionary trajectory is about uh, the self-discovery of our own true nature as a species as seen, reflected through this mystery in the sky. Mm -hmm. do, do you think do you think humans are evolving or are we devolving? Well, some humans I certainly think are evolving and some are evolving. <laughs> we, we see this <laughs> it yeah. several different okay. ways. But the potential is there uh, for evolution, um, you know, genetically uh, as well as culturally, culturally and psychologically. Uh, the, the potential is always there for us to continue uh, evolving. But certainly mm -hmm. technology is evolving mm -hmm. as to whether it's smart technology or not, whether we have the wisdom to harness and guide the technology that's evolving, uh, artificial intelligence being one good example. That, that's another question entirely. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, do do aliens evolve? Are, are they at their maximum evolutionary state? I mean, the, the typical depicted alien, kind of like the one peeping in the window here, uh, usually bald, big black eyes, usually don't wear any clothes. Um, no, no noticeable ears, uh, no other bodily parts noticed. So I mean, beyond that, I mean, if you keep evolving, uh, you know, it seems kind of reminds me of like a, a Star Trek episode where they show that they the, thinking as far in the future as you can, you just have a brain, a brain in a, in a cover, and and you know, and that's it. And I think there's even others that project further than that where. You don't even need a brain. You're just you're you're not like a spirit, but some kind of entity that's just uh, floating around in a cosmic kind of cloud. You've seen I don't know how many episodes of Star Trek was like that. I think they're trying to project out what it would be if you evolved so far in the future. And I don't know what, what do you think's after just a, a, a ball of energy, uh, Randall? I mean I don't I can't think further than that. What else would you be? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly uh, energy. Let's think about ball lightning and. In the 60s and 70s, a lot of debunkers and skeptics tried to make a case that UFOs were examples of ball lightning. Well, ball lightning, we know, 
exist. Uh, it's very rare, uh, but we've seen examples of where ball lightning um, is associated with legitimate sightings of non-ball lightning uh, craft, seemingly. So, uh, it, uh, Daniel, you're you're a very provocative guy. You you ask some <laughs> interesting questions. But I must confess, I've been interviewed dozens of times for this book, uh, and no one has raised some of the angles uh, that you have. And I appreciate uh, provocateurs and provocative uh, <laughs> wow. questions. Okay. Well, I'm... All right, I'll I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, I mean that's indeed it is. Indeed it is. Uh, thank you very much, Randall. And uh, certainly, you know, I think we like when I was describing the Star Trek thinking past. I mean, there's these sort of standard questions, but somehow we got to press forward. Forward, we got to keep pressing forward and find out. You know, for instance, you know, in your books, uh, are, you know, how how what are they trying to tell us? Well, we should have that discussion because I I think. We're well beyond. Are they here? It has to be now. Why are they here? And 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 project mm-hmm. plausible ideas that can to, can lead us and and really it's 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 also be self. It would be self discovery uh, as well when you mm-hmm. kind of think about that. Where where are we heading as a species ourselves? And, you, and now it was very 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 diplomatic of you to say there's there's some that are evolving and some that are not and digressing and uh that's very good that keeps you out of hot water uh i but i'm now i'm not, I, I i thrive in hot water so i'm thinking there's more digression than there is progression but as i look across the the earth earthly landscape here mm-hmm. um there are other there are other movies about uh, infinite amount of movies about alien contact some of them depict that they're here to gather our resources. Uh, do you address that in, in any context, or have you researched that or looked into that? Well, certainly I summarize a lot of books that uh, tend to uh, go in that direction uh, about harvesting uh, genetic resources, of you know, resources in connection with the minerals and uh, so forth. Uh, all of that uh, has been covered uh, in great detail in many other books, which I, I tend to, to summarize. Mm-hmm. But going back to a, a point you just made, uh, Daniel, um, I mentioned earlier 1975 as being a, an important year for the publication of, of books uh, in, in this realm. And if we looked at, at that Billy Graham and those two evangelicals who had totally different takes on what the UFO phenomenon was. Billy Graham, uh, the optimist in him seeing uh, that angelic forces were at work. And then the the other two uh, who were more fear-based in what they felt was happening, seeing satanic forces at work. And that sort of schism right there just in Christianity sort of uh, magnifies the schism uh, in all the other frames of reference and points of view uh, in this phenomenon. Uh, It's so difficult to get a handle on it. And it's easy for people to become hardcore in their point of view. Um, I had someone contact me just today, for 
instance, uh, who said that uh, my book was basically BS because uh, I didn't have uh, a particular point of view. I didn't have a specific experience that I would wrap my ideas and the evidence supporting the ideas uh, around. And this particular person had a particular point of view based on his experience that he felt he had been abducted, that they had given him mm -hmm. a special <clears throat> clearance for special information, and it had to do with which species were here and why they were here and so forth. And my response was, that's fine that you feel that way, but you don't have to feel that you're an evangelic sort of person as a result to convince other people that what you're experiencing uh, was true for us as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was true for you, but you put you on a pedestal with thousands of other people that have other experiences that they've had that are very different, uh, very different interpretations. And again, that's what I tried to do in this book is to show all the different perspectives and interpretations uh, that are out there and let uh, each reader make up their own mind about what feels true. Interesting. Interesting angle on that. Um, are aliens making the crop circles and mutilating cows? I cover that from the standpoint of summarizing books uh, that cover it. Uh, again, I don't have a, a particular point of view. Uh, I think the evidence is interesting um, about my father was a cattle rancher. And I remember when he was alive, uh, I grew up in Texas on a cattle ranch. And my father, uh, he raised black Angus and went over the cattle mutilations in the 1970s were publicized, uh, he was rather cynical about it. He says, oh, there's a, probably an insurance angle here. You know, the, these cattle, are, they were probably diseased, and uh, then they were mutilated, and uh, it's a way to scam the insurance companies. Well, I didn't necessarily take that for granted. I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily believe that. But I thought it was an interesting point of view from someone that was in the industry who mm -hmm. actually was involved yeah. with the cattle and, and, and you know he, who would see that as a possibility uh, and it gets Daniel to what I discuss in the book uh, whether it's about crop circles or, or about cattle mutilations and, and that is uh, the different points of view between believers and skeptics mm -hmm. My experience is that most people that call themselves skeptics are really cynics. Um, they're really people with a sort of sniveling disbelief in virtue. They're people that jump to conclusions about the veracity and the integrity of people that have had unusual experiences or have seen unusual things in the sky and who have been a witness or even been victimized by cattle mutilations, for instance. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, so, only, uh, the, the only movie that really depicted sort of a dialogue, but it was sort of a one-way dialogue, was Contact with Jodie Foster, where they downloaded instructions how to build something, uh, mm -hmm. and they definitely uh, used uh, um, communication that we could understand and, and that. But if there was to be meaningful dialogue with them, what form do you think it would take? 
I have this feeling, and again, it's intuitive, that it would be a transfer of information uh, via a merger of consciousness, uh, an energy merger of consciousness. Uh, I mean, obviously, we are light beings. Uh, That's been acknowledged now. You know, we're made of photons of light, Mm -hmm. and, and we're electromagnetic, and we operate in that way, and and, and I just have a sense that the downloads of information maybe have been occurring throughout human evolutionary history, um, that uh, these downloads of information might have yielded the Leonardo da Vinci's, for instance, uh, or the in, in Egyptian times, the Imahotep's, the, the, the creator, the architect of the Step Pyramid at Zosur, or whatever genius has occurred at any one time, you can ascribe it, as the ancient astronaut theorists do, to an intervention, direct or indirect, uh, by alien visitors uh, who are manipulating our gene pool, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any knowledge of the Aldebaran mystery? Did I say that right? Aldebaran mystery? I'm not familiar with that. Okay. Sorry. All right. Let's get to another one. Uh, I, uh, this is from Rose. That I heard a conspiracy theory that they created alien-human hybrids to replace the human race with these hybrids. What do you think about that? Well, David Jacobs uh, has written several books on this subject, which I summarize in my own book. And he evolved these theories. Um, he was one of the first, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. to think in terms of asking the why of an hybrid program. Why would this be underway? And and he came to the conclusion based, again, it perhaps as a fear-based conclusion that he reached, uh, but however he came about um, with that conclusion, uh, it was that uh, the hybrids were here to replace uh, humans, and um, that was the entire motive behind this program that was uh, initiated not by one particular species, but in by competing extraterrestrial species that were visitors here and were in some sort of like an arms race <laughs> in order to uh, influence uh, our own species. Mm-hmm. Um, do you believe we have a quantum brain computer? That we, as in our country, the well, United States, has a quantum... QB, uh, maybe clarify that question. Say, do you believe we have a quantum brain computer? Um, hmm. Well, we certainly have a quantum computer, right? And this is interesting because the guy that invented the D-Wave quantum computer said that uh, that when it's running, it seems to have a heartbeat. Have you heard that quote? Vaguely, yes, uh, that rings a bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a big bell, but it, it does ring one. All right, grumpy army vet. By the way, if it, if you are a, an army vet, uh, we had Veterans Day, so thank you for your service. But uh, do you have any knowledge about treaties between our governments and the aliens? I cover that in the book based on other authors who have claims made about. Uh, these sorts of treaties. In fact, I, I mentioned earlier 
being contacted by someone just today who didn't like my book because it didn't have this strong yeah. point of view. And right, one right, of the points right, he made right. was you didn't cover the treaties between uh, the United States uh, government and the Galactic uh, Federation. And, and my response again was uh, all I can do, I don't have firsthand information about any of that. And all I can do really is to summarize the work of other authors that do just to give you the input and the opportunity to weigh it. Now, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that we have got controversial enough, so let's go ahead and get even more controversial with this question that just come in. Do you, do you believe aliens eat humans? Do I believe that aliens eat humans? Yeah. I don't have a belief, you know, I keep going back to this. Uh, I, I'm a journalist and I am someone that, okay, well, you know, okay. if Socrates, All right, if Socrates so... was alive today, I, I would be at the feet of Socrates in order to ask okay. questions Okay. and questions that don't necessarily have answers. So, so, so are you, so are, so, are, so are you familiar with the Twilight Zone episode to serve man? Yes, I am. I've seen it many times. One, one of my favorite ones ever. <laughs> Especially when you're running up there, Doctor, stop, stop. It's a cookbook. That's um, right. Now, again. I, I always wanted to read the, a more in-depth version, you know, like yeah. a mini book uh, based on that plot to find out what sort of spices were used. Mm, uh, I was always curious. Right. So, you know, and, can, cannibalism usually was pretty raw. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna is you gonna fry them, bake them, put them in a stew? I don't know. But that but that sounds again, like I said in the first hour, sometimes we just have to throw out unbelievably ridiculous ideas because we're so used to the boxed ideas that come that we can't really advance because we're just going around in circles. You know, so getting out of the box thinking. Now, I had a a guy on this show. This show's been going on since 2003, and he worked for the British military intelligence and he claimed on this show and others that they transport there are ships that have boxes 10 by 10 boxes and inside those boxes are body parts of humans and that these body parts are used to feed the aliens and he's quite I mean he has his credentials are correct now, you would say his theory is so outrageous, it's unbelievable. But then I could say, wait a minute, they're talking about UFOs going underneath the water, coming up out and, and going and, and, and flying right next to ships. That seems unbelievable, too. Mm-hmm. But it's not unbelievable. This, that's been reported widely. And now there's a whole category, even within the government, and, and their sort of slow walking disclosure of underwater UFOs. They have another name for them. I don't know what it is, but uh, they have sort of an all encompassing. Description. So it is possible that they are in fact harvesting humans for lunch, Rando Fitzgerald. Well, you mentioned the Twilight Zone. That was my favorite series uh, growing up in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And my younger brother, his favorite series was The Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. And we used to have this debate of which is more plausible, what we see on the Twilight Zone or on outer limits mm-hmm. and we'd go back and forth and, and it, it really was a way to get a sense of where someone was coming from uh, whether they had a preference for the twilight zone or the outer limits mm-hmm. uh, and of course 
you know, for other people, uh, I mean, both were really out there. It didn't, uh, there, there wasn't really any distinguishing features between the two series uh, other than mm-hmm. imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. I, if you look at most science fiction movies today, they almost seem like just redos somewhere between Star Trek, Twilight Zone, or Outer Limits. Have you ever noticed that? Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering yep. why it is they they seem to have had more originality and forward thinking of of these kinds of subjects uh, then, but not so much now. Rod Serling, Rod Serling was a mad genius, you know, the chain smoking uh, mad genius Rod Serling. Yeah. Uh, most of the Twilight Zone came from his imagination, and. Uh, I think there are a few examples uh, in science fiction uh, of uh, of true pioneers. Now, Arthur C. Clarke is one with mm-hmm. 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. which when I saw it in 1969 uh, was one of the, I won't say a life-changing or life-altering uh, event to see that movie, but uh, it, it certainly set me on the course of speculating mm-hmm. about what is possible and what could have happened uh, in pre-history. And uh, it, it's one of those films that you know, I never get tired of, of watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, lo- I love 2001 A Space Odyssey. What do you think about 2010 A Space Odyssey? Uh, as sequels go, it was, it was okay. I, I read the book, and I think the book was better than the movie. Yeah. It just seems to me it's kind of like, to me, The Matrix, the first Matrix was the absolute best, and the, then it got crappier and crappier and crappier. They, they just couldn't recapture the magic. Then they had to have uh, then they had to have Neo and um, Trinity get together. That blew that up. That, you know, it was great to have that tension there, but then they went ahead and did it, and it was, it was, it was a gross depiction of it. So I was like, ah, get out of here, man. You can't do it. Um, in your book, you talk about angels uh were they angels you put them in quotes who bestowed civilization what's your take on that well depending on whether you want to look at that subject the ancient astronaut subject from a religious perspective uh, if you do you had mentioned uh, intelligent design earlier in our discussion uh, and if intelligent design was intended to uh, bring about a stage of religious, spiritual evolution, and that angels were like the gardeners uh, who were sent here to uh, help create uh, a foundation uh, for a more spiritual planet and species, uh, then, yes, I could see everything in the ancient astronaut theory uh, lending credence to that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that UFOs over time seem to be, you talk, we were talking about evolution, their design seems to be evolving. It seems like in the 50s, they sort of had a 50s design, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean... Is there something to that that maybe that's just a cultural thing? Well, getting back to Jacques Vallée and Passport to Magonia, which was the pioneering book in terms of raising those questions about the cultural 
uh, artifacts uh, of this phenomenon and, and whether it was culture that created the collective unconscious projecting uh, these UFOs in the sky or whether in fact the phenomenon was uh, shaping the cultural perspective or, or whether it was both going back and forth of uh, interactive seating um, so to speak um, I, I tend to think and this is again intuitive it's not based on any strong convictions but I tend to think that it was uh, a interactive seating back and forth and it continues to be just like the shape of UFOs you know you had the Foo Fighters and World War II that were just like you know, ball lightning, you know, balls of, mm -hmm. of light. And, and then it was the Kenneth Arnold 1947 saucers. Uh, and then we progressed into uh, triangles, mm -hmm. uh, you know, look at Arizona lights and, mm -hmm. uh, 1997. Have you, have you ever heard of, have you ever heard of Chase Klosky? I'm sorry? Have you ever heard of Chase Klosky? No. Okay. I must confess. All right. All right. No, that's okay. You, and you, Obviously, if you don't know, just say you don't know. It doesn't matter. We'll just move on. But I'll tell you about. I don't know. I okay. don't know, Daniel. Well, I'll I'm tell innocent. you. I'll tell you. She was a guest on this show, and she uh, she worked with several organizations um, uh, regarding uh, documenting UFOs and UFO activity. But she was the one guest that came face to face with an alien on a farmer's field with her crew while they were filming, and so, but. I won't go on to that, but if you ever want to look her up on our website, just put her name in there because it's a first, first hand view. Cause most people that have seen UFOs or know about UFOs are reading the internet or they know somebody who saw something or they heard of somebody saying something. So she's, she's the one singularly the one that we've ever had a show that uh, actually was, uh, came across that. So, and now that also brings it to another question. Many people say that when there is UFO sightings in general, there are um, uh, there are, are presence of other entities on the ground, such as Bigfoot. Have you ever heard that? Oh yes, yes, and I've read lots of speculations and theories that again, Bigfoot is interdimensional, which is why we don't find bodies of Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. That it's, a, it's an entity uh, that manifests uh, much like. Uh, UFOs going from one dimension to another and becoming physical or semi-physical mm -hmm. uh, and then taking an energy light form and um, morphing back into mm -hmm. another dimension. It, it, do you yeah. think that all of our uh, technology as it is advancing is strictly, uh, and I don't know what that, there, there's a, you might know this, it's um, where they say mul uh, technology will multiply there's a, a word for that or a phrase for that, but is it simply the humans evolving and doubling their technology, or do you think that we're getting help? Interesting question. Um, and, and what form does that help come? Um, if we think about the nature of intuition and, and human intuition and uh, how they're whatever one thinks about parapsychology, that there are uh, exchanges of uh, information at the energy level between <clears throat> human beings uh, that we consider to be intuitive. It's like when a scientist 
in one part of the planet gets an idea, a brainstorm about uh, a, a discovery. And another scientist, uh, another part of the planet, uh, about the same time, gets the, the same idea. Mm -hmm. uh, today, they can collaborate using the Internet. Um, but you know, decades ago, when there wasn't that opportunity to collaborate, except when they met in person at conferences or something, then there wasn't an opportunity for the evolution of those ideas to occur quickly. And now, because we're wired together, our nervous systems are like wired together through the technology of computers and smartphones. These sorts of uh, ideas percolate much more quickly, uh, and the discoveries are coming much more quickly. Uh, and so the question is a legitimate one to be raised, uh, whether or not uh, through our intuitive faculties, we're somehow linked together and and channeling you know, the old idea of the Akashic records, that there's some greater resource of, of information that humans periodically tap into. And are we doing it through, in Jungian terms, the collective unconscious? Uh, and if so, it gets back to your question, you know, aliens are visiting, uh, who created the aliens? Uh, who or what is feeding this Akashic record resource that we tap into periodically for these great discoveries. Mm -hmm. There's been um, a lot of talk uh, of late of the use of nuclear weapons. Um, now that's kind of be that could actually smoke out the alien component here because some have claimed that and says there is evidence of uh, alien activity or UFO activity disarming nuclear weapons. So would not, do you suspect that if one of these rogue countries, everybody's trying to get a nuke, if they, if they try, do you, you suspect it, we're going to get, they're going to interfere again, that they're going to stop it, or do you think they're just going to let it happen? Let's go back and look for a moment at the origins of the contact T movement, starting in the 1940s, and then the early 50s with George Adamski and all of the many other contactees, people who so that they were in contact with extraterrestrial visitors. The message that was always allegedly relayed to them was that the aliens were here because we had developed nuclear weapons and we were an immature species. We were going to abuse this technology that we were developing and that the planet was in peril. Well, the contactees were pretty consistent with this message that the planet was in peril and that nuclear weapons were the reason, uh, going right up through the 1960s. Uh, and, and then with the abduction phenomenon, uh, when it began and sort of supplanted contactees in terms of the popular imagination, then we started seeing an, an evolution in what the message was. Uh, and then the message was less about nuclear weapons, but more about a contamination of the planet uh, as a result of human activities and a whole variety uh, of realms. So mm -hmm. if we use history as a guide about the, the messaging, uh, then in answer to your question, it's possible uh, that there would simply be a whole new stage of messaging as a result uh, of the tendency uh, to use tactical nuclear weapons mm -hmm. like 
with Russia in, in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, we can hope, uh, the optimist in me would hope that if indeed there is interference ongoing on the part of an extraterrestrial visitation species, that they would stop somehow mm -hmm. uh, this mm -hmm. from occurring, mm -hmm. uh, it, either through influencing the mind of Vladimir Putin about whether mm. it should be done or whatever. Or like, like, a like a Vulcan mind probe. Or let me ask yes. you this. Let me ask you, uh, it's been, been stories forever of, uh, of aliens giving, a, giving humans technology in exchange for abductions, and then they renege and just start pulling people up and doing whatever they want willy-nilly. But... That's all. It always seems like they're giving us something. You know, they give us technology or whatever. If if you were in charge of a group that was to give something to the aliens from the only the humans, only something the humans know or can do, what would that one thing be that we say that they can learn from from us? It, it is the potential for the capacity of empathy and compassion. You know, compassion is the action part of empathy. And if we look at our species and how we treat animals, for instance, you know, irrespective of how we treat each other or how we treat children or whatever, but just looking at animals and our treatment of species that are intelligent, much less those that seem to be on the intelligence quotient scale much less intelligent so so do you think that you think that empathy could benefit the aliens uh, conceivably mm -hmm. conceivably but it may also be that empathy and compassion is something that we haven't demonstrated as a species sufficiently mm -hmm. uh, to where we are seen as deserving of the ultimate gifts that an visiting alien species might be able to give us. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like the, the highest, the highest uh, sort of pronounce, pronouncement of that would be found in the Bible where it says love is, love conquers all, love is above all. So, I, you know, if, if empathy is, is good, but the ability to love, I think, is the highest form uh, of the of the human condition is as as uh, unconditional love. Uh, certainly, we get that from our dogs. We can learn something from them. But I but I'm not saying if we were wait till we're perfect to give them something. I was just saying if we could give them something that we already possess or that we aspire to. Because I think that's part of what you're saying is well we need to aspire to something then we'll share it with them. But I just say we share it with them. You know we're still working on it, but we know what it is. Uh, and mm -hmm. it, the highest of that is love. But um, so. You know, I, I think uh, that that would be part of the dialogue we were talking about in your book. And you know, what, what would the how would the dialogue take place? But in most of the science fiction movies about abductions, from Travis Walton to um, Dark Skies, various other ones, where there's alien abduction and they're doing scientific experiments on on the humans, they're usually on a table. They they always have this, uh, and I think I think uh, Fire in the Sky showed it pretty good that. They're just, they don't have any emotion when they're drilling into your eyeball, you know, it's like, and if you're screaming and stuff, they always depict them as, you know, like they're puzzled, you know, like why, why are they screaming? You know, cause just cause I'm sticking a needle in their eye or something. It's just kind of weird. By the way, I got a little aside here. Somebody asked me, I'm a beekeeper. 
So they want to know how my bees was. So I got to address that. Uh, my bees are doing fine. Thanks for asking. Uh, they're kind of uh, getting into sort of hibernation mode right now. Um, I took a lot of honey from them. So I'm, uh, but uh, I left some for them, so they should make it. So thanks for asking about about the bees. Then we have this clarification for you, Randall. It's about going back to the quantum brain. They clarified and said, do humans have quantum brains? Oh, uh, yeah, that's like the question of do humans have holographic brains? You know, there was the, the book some decades ago, The Holographic Universe, uh, in which Michael Talbot, the author, and speculated um, that we live in a holographic universe uh, and much like the matrix this was many years before mm -hmm. the matrix appeared mm -hmm. uh, that in fact uh, holography was going to be the uh, the future and then we have this now with the meta universe uh, and with the the headsets you know this is all sort of the baby steps uh, in that direction uh, but I would see it linked together, um, the, the quantum brain and, and the holographic uh, effects from a quantum brain uh, mm -hmm. as revealed in our consensus reality. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about emotions there, about what, what could we share with our, and I don't, <laughs> I kind of hesitate to say our space brothers, okay, because it ain't my space brothers, but um, the people out there, what can humans share and that kind of reminded me of the movie, um, I think it was called um, The Forgotten. And in that movie, and there's a lot of movies actually called Forgotten, but this was an alien movie. Uh, what happened was these children disappeared from all these parents. And they, they, these parents didn't know they had children that were taken. They went on about their life. But one woman kept thinking, wait a minute, I got a son somewhere. Where's my son? And everybody said that you're crazy. And, it's, you know, send her to a psychologist and they try to talk her out of it. Turned out the whole thing was the the aliens was trying to find out what the bond was between the mother and the child because it's obviously something they were not capable of, that emotional mm -hmm. connection. But they were able to break that. It was interesting. They were able to break that emotional connection with all the other parents. And then she mm -hmm. finally convinced one guy that, that he had a daughter and, and – uh, and, uh, he he discovered that because he was in his room and he saw something on the wall and uh, he started pulling back the, la the layer of wallpaper and then he stepped back. It was crayon drawing from his daughter that he had. They took the mm -hmm. memory out, but it came back when he saw that. But so it's interesting, but it seems like they are emotionalist beings, but uh, all the experimentation that we kind of hear about, it, it seems to be reproductive in nature. But maybe they need to be getting into the emotional part, and maybe they would stop taking our... And by the way, you talk about cattle abducts, cattle mutilations and stuff. Now, you know, m me being a cowboy, I don't take kindly no cattle being mutilated. Just no, saying. Nor do I, and I don't eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, all right. So, are, have you found in your research are there more are there more contactees coming out or, or more contacts happening? Is there any kind of increase, or you think it's just the same number of events happening that we seem to be more involved because we're actually looking for them? Well, I've seen attempts at surveys. I mean, Whitley Stryber and David Jacobs and, and a few of the others uh, have made various attempts to do surveys to see whether the phenomenon is many more uh, 
much more intense now than it was. And I think the evidence is sort of mixed. Uh, it depends on what culture you're in. You know, there are certain countries now that uh, didn't have, at least publicly, this phenomenon occurring just a generation ago. And, and now they do. It's, it's almost like it comes in ebbs and flows of, of waves. So it's so hard to, to track. I, I don't know that there's, through the Internet, an international repository for keeping track of the incidents. Uh, I, I think that's a worthwhile uh, goal for some philanthropists to fund. Mm-hmm. Um, you pose the question, why, in, in, in the book, um, uh, Alien in a Mirror, why are we being manipulated? But isn't that by nature, if we are being manipulated, would we even know it? No, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we probably wouldn't, uh, we're not evolved enough as a species, um, much less as individuals, uh, to know when we're fully being manipulated. Uh, and just look at advertising and how subtle advertising can be in manipulating our preferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, and getting back to artificial intelligence, uh, because you raised a, a point and the wheels are sort of spinning uh, ever since, Part of the debate right now about artificial intelligence is whether or not it can ever be imbued with empathy and compassion Mm -hmm. and with unconditional love uh, and the whole spectrum of emotions. And so it's a raging ongoing debate. There's no finality to it, certainly probably not in our lifetimes. But if we project that debate onto uh, extraterrestrial visitors, uh, if indeed they're here, uh, and they have sent, instead of themselves, their form of robots, for instance. You know, they're biological uh, robots that that are without emotion uh, and that are uh, without unconditional love. And so what we would show as empathy, compassion, unconditional love would be of interest to them. Uh, because they don't have yet the capacity evolved for it, just like we don't in our own artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Seems like empathy. If that was if that was a go, a, a goalpost or a signage of human evolution, that would be go, that would. I'm thinking that we're going backwards on that one. So we need to. We uh, in some <laughs> respects, uh, but I mean, yeah, there but are. There's a there's a word out there, Randall, uh, that's been batted about called mass psychosis. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it seems that humans are very easily manipulated, like you like you said. Now that really goes back to commercials. I think there was even laws passed because they were putting these flasher points. Yeah, and so you know, it seems like we're easily manipulated. And I've always said, you know, I'd rather know that they're trying to manipulate me than for me to have my opinion changed. And I don't know why I believe what I believe. But the one, the one thing, the one defense for that I found is information is doing your own research, because if we take things in sound bites, we're never going to get anywhere uh, as far as closer to the truth, whatever that truth is. And then everybody on this planet seems like they're looking for some kind of truth. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always had this kind of debate with a lot of guests over time that if truth exists, and I think we can all agree that truth does exist, then no matter where you start from, we should all end up at the same truth. 
because I, I personally now you may have a different view of it, but I don't believe that there's a personal truth because that doesn't make it truth. If you say, well, my truth is the sky is blue. Well, my truth is it's gray. Only one can really be right. There's, you know, if it, if it is truth, there's a defining point for that. And mm -hmm. but to me, that covers a lot of subjects, whether it be extraterrestrials or the or Bigfoot or um, ghost or any any of those subjects there. They, they have to come to the same point in order to be truth. What's your what's your particular view? Does everybody have a personal truth or is there a singular truth that no matter where you come from, comes to the same place? Maybe as a species, we are programmed genetically to have a particular point of view. Like, what do all of the religions throughout history have in common? Whether it's uh, Islam or Christianity or Buddhism uh, or Hinduism uh, or, or tribal uh, pagan religions, what do they all have in common? It's mysticism. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, it, it is the capacity within the human brain that we each have individually and as a species to project a mystical interpretation on life itself and on the reasons for life and mm -hmm. the meaning uh, of life. Mm -hmm. There's not much else uh, that's in common between mm -hmm. all of the various religions of the world except uh, a mystical tradition. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, we are mystical beings. Mm -hmm. We are mm -hmm. living out in physical form a spiritual dimension and that spiritual dimension um, is as mystics mm -hmm. and i think for many of the people that get truly immersed in the alien abduction or alien visitation or ufo phenomena, uh, those people are mystics too mm -hmm. they're searching for answers uh, they're searching for a commonality of purpose and a commonality of a point of view for all of humanity mm -hmm. There, there is that um, uh, conversation about our so-called ancient uh, ancestors, and um, here's a depiction of, of that. Let's just use this one for, for whatever reason. But um, that, and you mentioned mysticism, but some have suggested that the mysticism evolved because the early ancestors couldn't explain various things, so they had to come up with this idea that there was a, a godlike figure there in, that's causing it, you know, causes a seed to come out of the ground, causes the rain to come down. So they sort of, the mysticism came up through there. But I argue the point that the ancient caveman, he looks around, he sees a, he sees a, a woolly mammoth. He sees a tree. He gets rained on. He sees lightning and he goes running for the cave. There's nothing in nature that gives him the idea that there is an entity, a divine creator. There's nothing out there, in there. So it's like imagining the color Retron. Well, what color is Retron? Well, you don't know because you haven't seen it. So therefore, you, it wouldn't come into your mind. You can't, have a, you can't have a conversation with a color that doesn't exist or that you haven't seen. So in order for you to know about Retron, somebody has to show you that. So my suggestion is there's nothing, nothing in nature that tells the ancients that there is a God or a divine creator, that, that that knowledge had to come externally because there's nothing in nature that suggests that anything that was cre anything was created. But I believe 
here I'm using the word belief for the first time in this interview. Uh, I believe because I have felt that we are a hopeful species and always have been. We hope, whether it's 10,000 years ago uh, as hunter-gatherers, that uh, we would find our next meal for tomorrow. Uh, we had that hope. Uh, we, we had the hope that we would survive long enough to see uh, our progeny grow up. Uh, it's a continuation of, of hope for the species that's kept us going. And I believe that hope, that sense of uh, optimism uh, is one of the redeeming features for us. Mm-hmm. So so where do, you th- where do you think, if they didn't get the idea of a godlike uh, deity from nature, where did that idea come from? I think it's programmed into us. Uh, it's part of our genetic uh, heritage. Um, we don't know yet, for instance, uh, in the animal kingdom, whether um, monkeys, baboons um, uh, have a uh, sense that there is uh, another life after death. Um, we don't know that yet. Uh, there is some evidence that some species do bury their dead. Some species have rituals around death, mm-hmm. which would seem to indicate that there is some sort of collective um, belief or sensibility. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be, for instance, in the case of elephants, elephants have have a funeral procession, which is one of the most yes. amazing things in nature. And it, and it, and it, I've seen I've seen elephants cry too as well, which in, indicates emotions. And I've seen emotions in other animals as well. But it could also be that um, the animal kingdom is aware of of a creator being as well because they're emulating the sadness or the emotions that that was designed into them. But if you're talking about, say, caveman, and if we go with the evolutionary route, he came out of a swamp, he turned into a monkey. uh, You you said something programmed into us. Still, that programming has to come externally. It it isn't evolutionized into us. It's something was put in there. Something was dropped mm-hmm. in, into our sphere, into our humankind. Well, listen, Randall Fitzgerald, we're getting near the end, end of the uh, broadcast. Got your book here in the background. Uh, where can people get it and uh, anything else you'd like to say about it? Oh, it's available on Amazon and my website, Alien in the Mirror, which will tell you more about uh, the book. Uh, the foreword is written by Jacques Vallée. Um, Jacques uh, still writes books. Uh, he, he is wow. you know, one of the elders uh, in in this realm um, for anyone who's ever read one of his books you know how provocative he is and, and I was honored I've been honored to have him as a friend for almost 50 years now and he agreed to write the forward to the book and if you read the book for no reason other than uh, I, I would recommend it reading it for the introduction by Jacques Okay. All right. And uh, I want again, I want to express my thanks for your, your, your kind compliments earlier in the broadcast where you, you... Oh, well, you, you're well-deserving, Daniel. You, you're a provocative man, and I, I appreciate that curiosity. Okay. All right. Well, Randall, I appreciate you coming on the Edge broadcast. I'll send you links after the editing and upload. Happy trails. All right. Bye-bye.